Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1, 2, 11, and 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. So as you're getting seated, let's pray. Father in heaven, um, we hear these words from Jesus, your beloved son, and um, it, it makes us uncomfortable. These are, are hard words to hear. Uh, they challenge us uh, to, to the very depths of our faith. And so, Lord, I pray that you would minister among us this morning as I seek to expound your word. I pray that your spirit would be actively ministering to our hearts because I believe, Lord, that this is a, uh, a crucial word, a crucial word for your people in this day. And I, I do pray that you would... Um, apply it to our hearts, that we would lean into it, that we would receive it, believe it, and have the grace and courage to live it out. And I pray all of these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, we are coming to the end of this opening portion of the Sermon on the Mount, and we've seen how Jesus uh, came up to the Mount, and the crowds and the disciples gathered around him. And we, we've seen that prior to that, Jesus came um, proclaiming and announcing that in him, the kingdom of God is present. It's at hand right now, he says. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And so Jesus is the great king who is uh, proclaiming and demonstrating the power of God's kingdom breaking into this fallen world. And then Jesus begins to preach the Sermon on the Mount, and he, he tells us about the blessedness of those who, who are citizens of the kingdom. And he tells us what they're like. Now, this is obviously uh, good news this is good news for those who turn from their sin and trust in the Savior. But uh, I must emphasize that this is not welcome news. This is very unwelcome news uh, for those who do not. For those who will not submit their lives to Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel, the good news about Jesus is not welcome. The problem is rebellious sinners, rebellious people who are rebellious against God, do not welcome the reign of God over their lives. 
That's just something that we've got to uh, come to terms with if we're going to understand the Bible at all. The Apostle John describes what I'm talking about here in, in very cosmic terms. He describes it as a conflict between light and darkness. In John chapter 3, verses 19 to 20, he says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. These are very sobering words. John is not talking about a a little group of people in ancient Palestine 2,000 years ago. This is a diagnosis of the world. This is a diagnosis of the human condition. We hate the light by nature. And as we saw last week, because because the world is in rebellion against God, that is going to have ramifications and repercussions for all those who are committed to walking in the light of God's kingdom. There's no way around it. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Last week we looked at Matthew 5.10, where Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, being a, a citizen of God's kingdom will... It does produce friction with those who are living in what Paul calls the domain of darkness. That's how he categorizes the world in rebellion against God. There's a friction there. There's a tension there. And as I said last week, uh, Jesus... preaches about persecution in Matthew 5.10, and then he doubles down. He reiterates and then expands this point in verses 11-12, the passage we're looking at this morning. But instead of teaching about persecution generally, Jesus seems to look directly at the disciples here. And he makes this very personal to them. Look at what he says in verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This message, Christ City, goes well beyond the original disciples who were sitting in the presence of Jesus. This is a word for us. Imagine that Jesus is looking at you this morning, eyeball to eyeball. 
This is a word for us. It, it is a relevant word, and as I prayed, it is a necessary word, I believe, for Christians all over the world, throughout all time. But this is a necessary word for comfortable North American Christians in the 21st century. I have two points this morning. The reason for our persecution, the response to our persecution. Let's begin by looking at the reason for our persecution. We looked a little bit at this last week, but I want to go a little deeper with you. Because this morning in the passage that was just read for us, Jesus makes a direct connection. He makes a direct connection between himself and our persecution. He states it explicitly. Others will revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. It's as though Jesus is looking at us and he's saying to us, okay, I am the problem here. You will find yourselves in a difficult place because of your commitment to me. I think it's so, so kind of the Lord to give us a heads up here. To tell us well in advance about what is going to happen to us and why it is going to happen to us. I think we've got to shake off these domesticated views of Jesus and deal with the Jesus of the scriptures. He's not a a furry plush toy. He is not user-friendly. He is the Lord of glory who has come in all the authority of Almighty God to establish His reign over this rebellious world. Isaiah 9, chapter chapter 9, verse 6, refers to Jesus as the Prince of Peace. But the problem is, The peace that Jesus is bringing into the world is not the peace that the world is looking for. See, the world wants peace on its terms. But Jesus brings peace on God's terms. Jesus brings peace on God's terms as people turn away from the rebellion and submit themselves to the righteous, good, gracious, glorious reign of King Jesus. That's how God establishes his peace in the world. And the world wants nothing to do with God's peace. The world rejects and opposes this peace. John Stott points out, persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. That's the problem here. 
Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2, give us a vivid picture of what's going on. They give us a vivid picture of the world's opposition to God. Here's what it says. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Jesus is God's anointed king who has come into the world. And the world, instead of receiving his good news of peace and reconciliation with God, they resist, they push back, they fight, and they kill. And because the world rejects the righteous king, the anointed son, because of that, the world will reject And oppose us. Jesus said last week I read from John's gospel. That Jesus said that if the world hates you. It is because it has first hated me. Christ City please hear me on this. I know this is not an easy message. But the, the point we need to hear is that we cannot follow Christ. And follow the world. Stott said that these are two irreconcilable value systems. I think James 4.4 put it even more poignantly. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Christ City, all of us must choose. Are we going to try and live in friendship with the world? Or are we going to submit our lives entirely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the righteous King? That's the question I'm pressing upon you this morning. That's the decision that we all must make. We can't have it both ways. And we cannot, we must not sit on the fence. You see, when, when Christianity and culture were much more closely aligned, I think it was easy for Christians to imagine that they could somehow follow Jesus and avoid persecution. But now that this historical collaboration between Christianity and the culture is literally unraveling, it's coming apart, we are very rapidly moving into what many call post-Christian territory. We're already there. And that means that the lines of separation are being more clearly and more sharply drawn than ever. That means, and I think we all see this beginning to happen, that means that the culture is becoming more openly hostile to those who claim the name of Jesus Christ. And because of that, I think we need to hear Jesus' teaching about persecution 
more than ever. John uh, Calvin nailed it when he said, They who wish to be exempt from persecution must necessarily renounce Christ. So Jesus tells us here that we will be persecuted because of him. The world will hate us because it hated him. I found a lot of comfort over the years in reading 1 Peter. 1 Peter, brothers and sisters, let me encourage you. Wear that book out in your Bible. This is the book that we must study closely in order to prepare ourselves for the storm that is coming. In 1 Peter 2, verses 20 to 25, the Apostle Peter encourages believers who are experiencing opposition and persecution. He encourages them and he encourages us by connecting our suffering and their suffering to the sufferings of Christ. He writes, If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, by his wounds, you have been healed. We have been healed from the affliction and the bondage of sin by his wounds. We were straying. We were straying like lost sheep. We didn't know where we were going. We were without a shepherd. But now, through the work of Christ, we have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Notice there that this is is what Peter calls when we're opposed. He says it's a gracious thing in the sight of God. When we endure suffering for doing what is right, it is a gracious thing in the sight of God because it is a clear evidence and a confirmation that we are faithfully following in the footsteps of Jesus. Here's the thing we need to know. From beginning to end, the Christian life is cruciformed. It is shaped by the cross. And the cross is not a piece of jewelry to hang around our necks. The cross is an instrument of torture and of death. And our lives are to be shaped by it through and through, from beginning to end. That's what Jesus himself said to us in Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And that includes being 
reviled and being persecuted and being falsely accused for his sake. Well, we've looked at the reason for our persecution. It's because of Christ. Let's look at the response to our persecution. In Matthew 5, 11 to 12, Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Then in verse 12, he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yes, you heard that right. (laughs) Rejoice, be glad when you are being reviled, when you are being persecuted when you are being beaten, when you are being burnt alive. Rejoice and be glad when people are slandering you and falsely accusing you and destroying your reputation. I think we can all agree that this is a very unusual response. Now, let me be clear, lest we get some weird ideas, Christians are not to to, uh, celebrate um, and seek persecution um, as an end in itself. Jesus is not calling us to rejoice and be glad because Christians are are some sort of weird, uh, pain-seeking masochists. That's not it. So what's going on here? Well, suffering for persecution Suffering persecution for Jesus' sake, it connects us to the promise of the future and the prophets of the past. That's what Jesus says here. When we suffer for his sake, when we take up our cross and follow him, we are connecting ourselves to the promise of our future and the prophets of the past. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. That's the promise for all those who faithfully endure to the end, even through persecutions. That's the future promise. And then he adds, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That connects us to all of the past. You see, when the world reviles us and persecutes us, Our identification with Christ in that, it involves us in the outworking of God's redemptive plan throughout the whole of human history. Brothers and sisters, when we are attacked, when we are opposed, when we are slandered, we are, I assure you, never alone in it. Jesus is telling us here that we are part of something that is so much, so much greater than ourselves. And as we look to the fullness of Christ's coming kingdom, we stand in a very long line of faithful witnesses who have come before us. The prophets were persecuted for Christ's sake, and so are we. We look forward to the eternal reward just as the prophets did in their day. We're in good company when this happens to us. We ought not to be surprised by it. You can go all the way back to the martyrdom of Abel. 
Now, at this point, I'm tempted to transition and walk us through uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Let me commend that to you. There's this great list, this cloud of witnesses, Hebrews says, that bear witness to the faithful suffering and persecution and martyrdom of God's people before Christ came into the world. I'm tempted to go there, but I'm not going to. What I want to do is go to 1 Peter 4 with you and just walk through verses 12 to 19 because what I want us to, to, to have as we leave this morning is, is a, a bunch of reasons why we should be the kind of people who rejoice in the face of our persecution. Brothers and sisters, I know that many of us right now are thinking that'll never happen. Let me correct you right now. If you are committed to following Jesus, it's not a question of if, it is just a question of when. This culture is not going to allow us to be salt and light without coming after us. It's going to happen. And that's why Jesus says what he says here. So let me look with you at 1 Peter 4 and give you very quickly six reasons to rejoice in persecution. First, we should rejoice in persecution because God is testing us. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Trials and persecution is necessary in order to test us. And there are two ways that God tests us through persecution. The first is that he tests the genuineness of our faith. When persecution comes, false Christians, pseudo-Christians will inevitably fall away. Their faith will be tested by the trials that they face and their faith will be found to be fraudulent. Do not be surprised when this happens. It may happen to people that have been in the church with you for years. Secondly, God tests us in order to strengthen our faith. See, there's an important difference between this test and the sort of test that we're used to. See, when we take a test at school, uh, we take a test in school for the purpose of the teacher finding out about how we're doing, right? But when God tests us, the purpose is not for God to find out, but for us to find out, for us to discover how we're doing. And we tend not to do as well as, you know, we're, we're like, with all due respect, we're like Americans with math. You know, they all think that, sorry, I, sorry, Clinton. Um, <laughs> no, but, you know, we hear these reports. I, I had to bring some levity in here because this is really heavy. You know, it's like you, you read these reports of how, you know, students think they're in the top 90, 95 percentile, but they're really, you know, 50, 60 percent. That's kind of like us. 
We think we're up for the challenge until it really comes to our door. And so I, I just advocate uh, walk nice and low and slow. Let's, let's not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Now, to get back to my point, um, God uses persecution in order to purify and refine our faith. Opposition is to our faith what a blast furnace is to gold. It's like a smelting pot that burns away all the dross and the impurities and the hypocrisy in our faith. See, when we face trials, when we face persecution, we're tempted to ask, God, where are you? What's happening to me? Can I trust you? And the persecution will refine our faith by driving us deeper still into the hope that we have in Christ, the one who suffered for us, the one who died for us, the one who rose again victorious over the grave for us. Brothers and sisters, we can only make sense of persecution. We can only make sense of all suffering in the Christian life if we see it as suffering with Christ and for Christ. Philippians 1.29, Paul says, It has been given to you not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. That's not an optional extra in the Christian life. So be forewarned, be forearmed. Second, we should rejoice because persecution prepares us for glory. 1 Peter 4.13 But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Sharing in Christ's sufferings in, invariably makes us more and more like him. See, our present rejoicing in our suffering anticipates the fullness of joy that we will have when we see our Savior face to face. James says that when we endure, we will receive the crown of life. That is God's purpose for us in suffering. Suffering in the hands of God is never senseless. It's never meaningless. It is the way in which he prepares us for his very presence. Brothers and sisters, that is what makes heaven heaven. Heaven is not getting to see your beloved Aunt Mabel. Heaven is to dwell in the very presence of God himself. That's what Jesus is talking about when he talks about our great reward in heaven. Third, we should rejoice because persecution fosters fellowship with the Spirit. 1 Peter 4.14, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. All Christians have the Spirit But there's a very powerful and personal sense in which the Spirit draws closely to those who are facing persecution and opposition for the name of Jesus Christ. God loves his children and he loves to hold them close to himself when they are trembling with fear and uncertainty. 
God will never abandon us. God will never forsake us. Rather, He will join us by His Spirit in the middle of whatever we are going through. You see this in the book of Acts. You see this throughout church history. I wish I could say more, but as usual, I'm running out of time. Fourth, we should rejoice in persecution because God is glorified. 1 Peter 4, 15 and 16. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. God is glorified in our faithfulness to Christ through persecution. Because of this, it bears witness to the fact that Jesus Christ alone is our greatest treasure. That's what we have to ask ourselves this morning. Is Christ my greatest treasure? Do I love him more than my safety? Do I love him more than the approval of others? Do I love him more than my reputation? Do I love him more than my job? Do I love him more than my comforts and my conveniences? Do I love him more than my precious freedom? Do I love him more than my life? John Piper rightly points out that God is most glorified in us. And I'll tweak this slightly when we are most satisfied in Christ. Fifth, we should rejoice in persecution because God's justice is near. First Peter 4, 17 and 18. It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Those who persecute Christians will not triumph in the end. They are not on the right side of history. Here, Peter is asking a rhetorical question. He's saying, if God allows this to happen to his precious, chosen, beloved children, how much greater will be the suffering upon those who persecuted them? God has determined that we will suffer. He's determined that Christians will prove their faith and strengthen their faith, not apart from persecution, but through it. And yet, our persecution, maybe even our death, it's not the end. Because we look to the one who has triumphed over death. He is our hope. He is our resurrection. I love the fact that in the end of uh, Jesus' The night that he is betrayed, he tells his disciples, in the world you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Sixth, we should rejoice because persecution proves the faithfulness of God. 1 John 4.19 Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Persecution clarifies things. Persecution helps us figure out what's really going on. 
and who we can really trust. Peter says that when we're persecuted, it's according to God's will. Let that sink in. Don't be surprised. God is working out his wise will in our lives. See, the Christian, Christians pray this. Not my will, but your will be done. And through persecution, the Lord comes in and says, did you really mean that? Do you really mean what you pray? Be careful what you pray. When I was a younger Christian, I was so full of vinegar. I, I, Lord, do whatever it takes. And then he answered some of those prayers. And I, I don't pray that way anymore. I said, Lord, be gentle, be merciful, go easy. (laughs) Persecution will help straighten us out, whether we are people truly committed to his will and not ours. Whether we will trust him and his faithfulness, or whether we're really ultimately trusting ourselves in our own circumstances. Let me close. I know this has been heavy. It's been heavy preparing it. But let me close with these words from John Newton, the author of the famous hymn, Amazing Grace. I have read this hymn so many times. And while he's not talking about persecution in particular, he's talking about the Christian view of suffering. And I commend it to you. I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour, at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more, with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest seek thy all in me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, So often, you're not who we imagine you to be. We want to know who you really are, Lord. We want to follow Jesus. 
faithfully to the end. Give us the grace, Lord. Give us the courage, Lord. Show your self powerfully present in our lives that we may walk through whatever you might have for us, singing your praises, rejoicing and being glad because we because we share in the honor of suffering with Christ and for Christ. Would you bring this home to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.